0: Hall of Shame is brought to you by Philo. Rachel, you still watching a bunch of HGTV these days?
1: I'm watching a bunch of it. I'm I'm like angry watching it, though. Like, I love it so much, but I understand that it's making me feel like I can do things that I can't. Right. Like, I'm not a property brother. Deceptive. I am not a part of that family, but right. I feel like I can do things. So then I, I end up taking on too much and my house looks like a disaster. So. Yeah.
0: You're definitely not a property brother. Still love it, though. I could be if I wanted to. Do you love TV but hate the size of your cable bill? Philo is your solution. It offers more than 50 channels of TV live and on demand for just $20 a month. One of those channels is Rachel's beloved HGTV. Woo. With Philo, you save hundreds a month on TV. It's the most affordable way to watch at a time when everyone could use some entertainment in their lives. So true. Philo was created by a bunch of passionate TV fans that wanted to make a better way to watch. There are no contracts. It's cord-free, commitment-free, hassle-free, and provides unparalleled customer service. I think a cord-free piece of it is very underrated. It's very nice to not have a bunch of cords. One of the better features is its unlimited DVR, which allows you to save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. It also allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams so everyone in the house can have their own saved shows and up to three simultaneous streams. Never fight over who gets to pick what to watch because, you know, that's an issue every night. Now you don't got to do it. Philo is easy to use, super easy to sign up, and you can watch by phone, laptop, tablet, or TV with Roku, Fire TV, Apple TV, or Android TV philo is tv for everyone sign up today at philo.tv shame and you'll get 25 off your first two months that's p slash shame hey guys i'm rachel
1: bonetta and i'm retina frockbong and this is hall of shame Hey, 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 hey. I might sound very weird this week because I've moved into a new house. It's probably really echoey. And we have ants, so I kind of can't sit in a closet. <laughs> uh, there's a lot there's a lot going on right now.
0: Sure. Well, congrats on the new house.
1: Thank you, thank you. Sorry on, on the ants.
0: Yeah, congrats or sorry. I don't even know which one. I mean You know, we're all just one big happy family yeah. right now. And uh, you, yeah. your boyfriend, the dogs, and the ants. The ants, yeah. Cohabitating. I have something you could put on your walls <laughs> from your <new> house. <laughs> what? Do you remember like when you were younger? And this uh-huh. is my age me, but there was this thing that you could do at like the amusement park where you could put your picture on the cover of a magazine. Oh my God. I've done this before. Okay, same. What did you do?
1: <laughs> so, first of like all, I- that's
0: what you should put on your wall.
1: Hold on. Can you and I do one together? Mine was like yes. a country music star, even though I hated country music my entire life. That's and I was so like funny. Hold, holding a guitar and I was like, yeah.
0: I love country music. Really? You do? Side note, I think country music, gets a bad rap because of that very like popified country music. But like Johnny Cash country music.
1: Oh, true. There's a lot
0: of really great like John Prine, Dolly. Like old school.
1: What would our what would our magazine cover be? You and I. Forbes. <laughs> I <don't know>.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, girl. <laughs> well, I did it in eighth grade mm-hmm. and I put myself on the cover of Tennis magazine because <laughs> I was obsessed. Like I was totally in love with Stefan Edberg, who was this like blonde Swedish tennis player.
1: I know nothing of the tennis world. I have to be honest with you right now. Like zip. Well, I'm so excited
0: because I'm about to tell you a little bit about it. Amazing. Do you play tennis now? Like, Well, here's the story of me. Like I was so obsessed and I, to the point where I would like hit the ball against our garage door until my dad was like, girl, you're Uh, peeling all the paint off. Please uh, stop. And the neighbors are like, please stop. Um, But so I played all the time and I was so obsessed and I was like, so mediocre. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like at best.
1: That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. You played until the sun (laughs) went down and you still sucked.
0: But I, um, do still play, you know, for exercise. Uh-huh. But my ex-husband, who was very good at tennis, was like, I don't really get exercise when I play against you, so I'll <laughs> find a different partner. So we're moving And on. now we're not married. Yeah, we're right. <laughs> That's not why. So I'm excited that you don't know much about tennis.
1: Yeah, I actually low-key don't like it because I can't play it. Like, it's one mm. of those things. I find the rack is too heavy.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, sidebar, we'll talk about that later. Uh, that just shows a little difference between you and I that I'm bad at it. And I'm like, I'm going to keep doing it.
1: <laughs> and I'm bad at it. And I'm like, I quit.
0: I'm going to put myself on the cover of Tennis Magazine. In fact, yeah. I
1: actually hate tennis now. Well, maybe you and I can go out one day and you can teach me how to
0: play. Yeah. No judgment here. No. Well, Today's story is a do's. It goes in a direction you will not expect, because I'm going to tell you about tennis superstar Monica Seles. Ooh,
1: don't know her. Ah,
0: (laughs) You're about to. Amazing. So Monica Seles was born on December 2nd, 1973 in Yugoslavia, which is now Serbia. We're always learning on this podcast. Mm -hmm.
1: This is an educational podcast.
0: Yeah. Her father, Karol, I think is how you say it, taught her tennis at the age of six. So... I guess, like, that was our problem. We didn't start at six years old. Oh, okay. There were only four clay courts in her town of Novi Sad, so her dad opted to teach her the sport instead in a parking lot so that they could actually get some court time. Oh, wow. So Monica was a natural right off the bat. In 1985, at the age of 11, she won the Junior Orange Bowl Tournament, which caught the eye of renowned tennis coach Nick Balateri. So this dude is, like, the guy— he coached a bunch of big tennis players that even you would know, like the Williams sisters, Got Andre it. Agassi, Maria Sharapova.
1: I knew two of those.
0: <laughs> yeah. He sees Monica at this tournament, and he invites her to his prestigious Nick Bollettieri Tennis Academy (laughs) Not a creative guy. Just (laughs) name it after himself like they do. And so at the age of 12, it's like the opportunity of a lifetime to go there. So at the age of 12, Celis and her family moved to Florida so that she could take advantage of this opportunity. She went pro in 1989 at the age of 15. So something to know about tennis is like, you go pro early. Still, this is very impressive. (laughs) She's
1: 15. Pause. Her entire family moved from Serbia to Florida?
0: I think it was just her mom, her dad, and her.
1: But still, that's wild at a really young age to uproot yeah. your entire life, leave your friends. Sure. It's not like they're moving from like one state to another. Yeah. They're moving from Serbia to Florida. That's dedication. That's a great family.
0: And opportunity. Yeah. Anyway, she goes pro in 1989. She's 15, and she wins her first tournament in that's May of that year. It's the Virginia Slims of Houston. And Celis dominated legend, Chris Everett, to win. Uh, How do you like that? But still. Chris has still got to produce a little more magic. Chris Everett's a tennis icon, so it's kind of a big deal. And not that Monica Seles has defeated Chris Everett in the third and deciding set to win the championship. So in June of that year, Celis played in the French Open, which was her first Grand Slam tournament, and made it all the way to the semis. So just a quick recap for those of you who aren't tennis heads like myself.
1: Tennis heads. <laughs> Wait, isn't that what the
0: rackets are called? Head? Yeah, the rackets have a head.
1: <laughs> this is very foreign to me.
0: So. I love this. Um <laughs> So the professional tennis tour has a bunch of tournaments throughout the year, but there are four majors known as the Grand Slams. They are, in chronological order for when they take place in the year, the Mm -hmm. Australian Open played at Melbourne Park in Melbourne, the French Open played at Roland Garros in Paris, Wimbledon played at the All England Club in London, and the U.S. Open played in Fleshing Meadow, New York. So for her at the age of 15 to make it the semis of the French Open, that's awesome. It's a huge deal. She ends up losing to Steffi Graf, another legend, who is four years older than her and ends up winning the entire thing. So Steffi was ranked number one in the world at that time. She was a total dominant force in the sport. She was known for her inside-out forehand, (laughs) which just as an eighth grader who loved tennis, I tried to do.
1: Were you you also known for your inside-out forehand?
0: I was known for trying the inside out forehand a lot. Okay. Okay. So at the end of 1989, Celis was ranked number six in the world already. She's 16 years old at this point. So at 16, just for context, I was, as we spoke about, (laughs) hitting tennis balls off the garage door. And once that stopped being an option, I sometimes took tennis lessons from a very bored man named Dennis. (laughs) But mostly, at 16, I was like, how do I get white people's makeup not to look like I'm a ghost on my face? Wow. And then I just gave up on makeup, and I have never since learned.
1: Yeah, okay, same.
0: I blame you, Maybelline, you know? (laughs) Anyway, just to get a sense of the landscape in tennis, here are the other top players on the women's circuit. Steffi Graf from Germany, who we just talked about, Martina Navratilova, who's now playing for the U.S., Interesting side note. She was born in Czechoslovakia, which is now the Czech Republic, learning so much on this podcast, but was stripped of her citizenship in 1975 for becoming too Americanized. No way. Wild. The other top women's players were Arancha Sanchez Vicario and Conchita Martinez of Spain and Gabriela Sabatini from Argentina. Just like great names top to bottom. Yeah, amazing. Bunch of great names. So in this environment of tennis legends, between January 1991 and February 1993, Celis won 33 of 34 tournaments. That's a great percentage.
1: Insane. That's what Little Reshna wished she could do.
0: I dreamed about it. Six of those were Grand Slam singles titles. So that's like really awesome. Mm -hmm. In the span of two years. And in 1993, at age 19... Cellis made it to number one in the rankings at the time. She was the youngest player ever to hold this title, so that's yes. super cool. Very cool. This girl, I was a big fan. <laughs> Love. Did
1: this you have a poster up on your wall? No, I actually like you, had. A you sh- totally knew who this who this girl was. You were like following her career. Oh
0: yeah, I mean, she was awesome, and she was kind of like the up and coming star. Uh, my poster on my wall was Sean Kemp from the Seattle Supersonics. I can't
1: I explain why. I also love that.
0: Big fan. <laughs> anyway, Celis was one of the first top players to play with a two-handed style for both the forehand and the backhand, which I would also recommend for you since the tennis racket's so heavy.
1: Okay. Thanks, this asshole.
0: This <laughs> is said to have been the product of her having to use her father's racket when she was growing up because there weren't children's rackets available to her. Mm so you also, apparently, with the weak wrists of a child, if you do that <laughs> two-handed. I have
1: dainty six-year-old <laughs> wrists.
0: Your daughter, May,
1: is probably stronger yeah, than Yeah, her am.
0: wrists are tough. So the other thing, besides that two-handed style of play that Celis was famous for, was her grunt. Which, much like her two-handed style she says, came as a result of being little when she started and putting her all into every point. Because she had to put her whole force into it. Right. So this grunt, I remember, I always felt like it sounded like a squeaky swing. Some people said it sounded like sneezes, but the point was she was basically one of the first female tennis players to grunt aggressively while playing. That's cool. So, whatever. It doesn't sound as weird to us now in 2020 when we're used to it, but back then... Tennis was like so silent on the woman's side and Monica was totally called out for it. They put noise reading machines courtside during her games to measure the decibel level. So shitty. And this started, I mean, when she was 15, 16. Mm -hmm. Opponents also complained to the chair empire, which elevated the issue. So at Wimbledon, which is known to be like the stodgiest of the tennis grand slams, like for many years, players had to wear all white, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. A player named Natalie Tazia yeah. complained after she lost the first set in eight of the first 12 games. She, like, kept having a fit about it, and she was like, I'm losing because of the grunting. And it's like, Natalie, or maybe Girl. you need to practice more. Come to oh! my garage. <laughs> <Come> <laughs> Please, to my Natalie. garage,
1: okay, Natalie?
0: Yeah. In the semis, even the legendary Martina Navratilova complained. Ugh. But, like, it feels like sour grapes. It feels like this girl's really good. And people want something to blame.
1: I also love that she kept doing it. Like, I feel like if someone was just like, you're too loud, I'd be like, yeah, okay, no problem. I'll be quiet Yeah, Yeah, cool
0: I'm so sorry it affects your game. I'm it so only helps me win. I'm so sorry that it
1: actually helped me win. I'm so <laughs> sorry about that.
0: People were really wondering at the time how Steffi Groff, who was kind of her main rival, would deal with it. And mm-hmm. she kind of was like, the grunting has always been an issue, but... Now that the umpires are involved, maybe you can actually do something about it. So even Steffi Graf was kind of like being annoying. Mm-hmm. British tabloids called her Monica Selis, which I was like real lame in first thought. Rose. that's so lame. But also, the outcry about the grunting raised a bunch of gender issues because famous male grunters like Jimmy Connors and Fernando Gonzalez never faced any criticism. So it's like very much because she's a woman.
1: Were they doing that? Like, was Monica the first to do it in tennis or were the guys doing it and then she...
0: No, guys have been doing it forever. Right, okay. She was one of the first to like be a vocal grunter. Well, fuck that then. yeah. Cella said she didn't even really know she was doing it. She was like, it's just here. I'm not doing it on purpose. And then at some point, she even worked to get rid of it because she didn't want to answer all the questions about it. And it's like, our girl's just trying to play some tennis. Our girl's trying to be a world-class star. Yeah. I like grunt sometimes going up the stairs because I'm so out of shape.
1: You know, (laughs) I I grunt getting into bed.
0: I grunt doing anything. (laughs) Correct. In an interview after her retirement... She was asked if she ever regretted the grunt, and, right, that, uh, and I'm like, down the grunts was one of I hate the that they're even asking her about regretting it.
2: Yeah, fortunately, I was 17 years old, and I was like, oh, I want to make sure everybody likes me. But she of said when she was
0: young it. and still coming up, she wanted to please everyone, but she realized
2: she wasn't out there to please people. She was out there to win. And then once I realized that, you know, you got to be an individual, whatever it is, whatever makes you win that point, and For me, it was part of my game. And this is who I was. And, you know, some people liked it, some didn't. But I wasn't out there to please people. I was out there to win tennis tournaments. Yes, girl. Let a girl grunt.
1: I wish that I was, like, so sure of myself as Monica was. Yeah. Like, you know, in Mean Girls, when they're like, I saw Regina George wearing army pants and flip-flops. So I wore army pants and flip-flops. That was me. (laughs) That's probably
0: still me. But good for her for sticking to her guns. Sure. I'm going to say Monica Seles is a billion times cooler than Regina George. Because she's a nice lady. Yeah. I hear you. Good for her for being like, this helps me win. This is my game. Don't tell me to change it. Y'all shut up. To add to this gendered nonsense, around the same time that the grunting controversy was peaking, she also rolled up at a tournament with a new short haircut. And at that point, people were like, she's like the aggressive boy grunting away. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally that Felicity Carey Russell shit all over again. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, so this young woman is dealing with all this nonsense. And at the same time, she's dominating the tennis world, still winning and being number one in a very competitive field, including the also dominant Steffi Groff. Kudos. Love it. So in January 1993, Cellis and Groff faced off on the courts of the Australian Open. At that time, Cellis had taken the number one ranking from Groff and the tension and competition between them was very high. Like, they were the top rivals in women's tennis at the time. So at the beginning of that match, Monica seemed a little nervous. Matt! Oh! She had some uncharacteristic double faults, which is like when you serve, and you get two chances to serve basically in tennis, and if both of them don't land in, it's called a double fault.
1: Love 15.
0: Actually a nervous double fault from... Monica Sellis. So Steffi wins the first set, six to four. But in the second set, Monica kicks it up a notch.
2: Game Sellers. Sellers leads three games to one. The
0: commentator notes, if Steffi if lets up at all, she could be in, she trouble. Be in big trouble. And sure enough, she does, and Monica wins the set, six three. And in women's tennis, the third set is the final tie-breaking set if it's necessary. So it's tied one set to one set, and. At this point, Celis and Groff are both playing peak, peak tennis. The stadium is silent, you can hear a pin drop, except, of course, for those grunts. Little Rechna
1: is at home watching with bated breath, Uh, holding on
0: to her racket. It's like four in the morning in Elyria, Ohio, (laughs) and I'm watching the Australian Open finals. It's great. Anyway. Monica wins the third set 6-2 to two, winning the Australian Open For a third year in a row She is streaking A champion And it's like a little bit Feeling like a changing of the guards And the grunts And tennis huh? The
1: look on your face right now
0: <laughs> So pleased <laughs> So Monica is at the peak of her career But Rachel There is so much more That comes next Before I tell you, we're going to take a quick break. Hall
1: of Shame is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers is on a mission to reinvent your medicine cabinet with clean remedies that actually work. Their flagship product, Propolis Throat Spray, is your daily defense when it comes to supporting your immune health and soothing sore and scratchy throats. Never heard of Propolis before? It is a powerful, antioxidant rich bee product with medicinal use dating back to 300 BC. Retchna, you know how we feel about anything dating back to 300 yeah. BC. Big fans. Big fans. We love this throat spray. We've been stuck inside in the dry air. Our throats are getting scratchy at night, makes us panicked because of everything that's going on in the world. I've been using this throat spray and it's been absolutely lovely. It's been awesome. Propolis throat spray is sustainably sourced and contains just three simple ingredients with no refined sugars, dyes, or hard to pronounce chemicals inside. There's also the Bee Lixer Brain Fuel which we love because it is the one thing that makes us feel smart. There's other (laughs) things that make us feel smart, but this is one thing that makes us feel very good. I don't always love drinking coffee because it makes me like jittery and anxious. If you take a shot first thing in the morning or before an important video conference to beat brain fog, find your flow and be on your A-game. It comes without caffeine or sugar, which I love. It's great. Makes you sharp. We could all use more daily defense right now, and Propolis throat spray is a game changer. It's time to give your medicine cabinet an upgrade with Beekeepers Naturals. To save 15% on your first order, go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash shame. That's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S dot com slash shame. To get 15% off, meet your new medicine cabinet with Beekeepers Naturals. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Public Goods. Public Goods is the one-stop shop for affordable, sustainable, healthy household products from home and personal care to premium pantry staples all in one place. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. We love these products. We love how they look. We love how they feel. We are obsessed with these. Yes. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products like sulfate-free shampoo, organic pesto sauce, hello, and tree-free paper products. They ethically source and develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They're committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the
0: environment. Reshna, what's your
1: favorite thing that that they sent us?
0: They sent me this almond butter, and I'm not, I'm like kind of a peanut butter girl, but the almond butter was so good. Wow, they've made you jump ship. I know. I was really impressed. I ate it with apples. It was so delicious. And honestly, like, I, I'm not a big almond butter lady. Wow. We're learning so much
1: about you every single day. I know. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. They plant one tree. Ooh, I love this. They plant one tree for every order placed. Love and tree. And have planted over 100,000 trees since September 2019. Good for you guys. This is awesome. And of course, we have a special offer for Hall of Shame listeners. Receive $15 off your first... First public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash shame or use code shame at checkout. That dot com forward slash shame to receive $15 off your first order. Hall of Shame is brought to
0: you by Theragun. Woo! I mean... We love... A real game changer. That's an overused phrase, but I think it's really true for a Theragun. Got a new small handheld one. Oh, yeah. So good.
1: I feel like I'm just, like, collecting all of the models now. So good. It's amazing. Look,
0: the stress of daily life weighs on us all, whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to get through the day. We're elite athletes, by the way. Yeah, we're the first one, but this is for both people. Mm Mm-hmm. Muscle pain and muscle tension is a real thing. That's why we use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power and is now as quiet as an electric toothbrush. I would say mine is quieter than my electric toothbrush. And I'm like, do I need to get a new electric toothbrush? I think you
1: might. I don't think electric
0: toothbrushes should be loud. Right? (laughs) Mine's not quiet. Anyway, the Theragun is... That's because the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet you will wonder if it's on while you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. It's so good. I've been loving it. We're obsessed. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need starting at only $199. Go to Theragun.com slash shame right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Theragun.com slash shame. Theragun.com. Slash shame. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Parade. Parade was launched by two best friends,
1: Cammie and Jack, in October 2019. Cammie, the CEO, is a first generation Latina. All their underwear starts at nine bucks and are made with a breathable cotton liner and packaged in 100% compostable packaging that biodegrades within 300 days. Their replay style is made of recycled nylon yarns, and for every sale made, 1% goes to Planned Parenthood, which we Love Love it. Love it. Parade features four unique core styles, a thong, boy short, cheeky, and brief, in addition to their high-rise thong and high-cut thong in sizes ranging from extra small to 3XL. I got the boy shorts. Very cute. I will tell you, not to make this weird, but I'm wearing my Parade undies right now, and they're comfy as hell. With Parade, you have the option of choosing from over 20 different colors, so you truly select the style and look you love best. You can even match your outfit to the Parade underwear you're wearing. Ooh! Cute. I feel like I low-key kind of did that today. Their underwear is truly buttery soft, true, and designed to never dig in or roll down. So good. Parade has been featured in Refinery29, Hype Bay, The Zoe Report, Forbes, BuzzFeed, Man Repeller, Fashionista, Yahoo, 17, Paper, Nylon, The Cute, Coveture, Pop Sugar, Allure, and InStyle. It's Impressive. That many people wouldn't be writing about this if it wasn't that good. You know what I mean? Agreed. Selena Gomez even wore the parade scarf in her cover shoot for Dazed. Nice. Go to yourparade.com slash hall of shame for 25% off four or more pairs. That's yourparade.com slash hall of shame for 25% off four or more pairs. Yourparade.com slash hall of shame. See site for details.
0: So we're back. So just to recap, Monica Sellis is dominating in tennis. She's just beat Steffi Graf at the Australian Open. She's number one in the world. It's a big moment for her, a big moment for women's tennis. Great time to be Monica Sellis. So later that year, in April 1993, Sellis, who's still number one in the world, is in a tournament in Hamburg, Germany, where if she keeps winning and Graf keeps winning, they'll meet in the finals. <gasps> Revenge match. We're hoping rematch. In the quarters, Celis is facing Magdalena Malieva of Bulgaria. So Monica won the first set six to four. She's up four to three in the second. You know, she's cruising. We're expecting her to win this match. There's mm-hmm. a changeover break, and the camera shows Celis cooling off, drinking water in the sidelines like you do. Then they cut to a screen showing the box score. And like when I was watching this, I was like, God, we are so spoiled now. Like back then it was just like this like static image of a box score for like a minute. Anyway, all of a sudden you're on this box score and you hear the audio of a couple screens. So they cut back to find fans in the stands behind Celis taking this man down. So. There is not actual footage of the attack since they were showing the box score at the time, like I said.
1: And there's probably only one camera going. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's super chaotic. The camera cuts back to Celis, who is holding her back between her shoulder blades Mm. in pain. It looks like she's about to pass out. A man runs over to help her lay on the ground. Viewers on TV cannot really tell what's going on other than Celis is hurt. It turns out that a Groff-obsessed fan named Gunnar Parcha plunged a nine-inch knife into Celis's back during the changeover. As she sat on the bench, he walked down the aisle, stopped briefly behind her, and then with both hands raised a nine-inch knife. Then a spectator, like, cried out. Celis twisted to look, at which point Parcha's knife entered her back at an angle. She, of course, yells and begins to cry and then lowers to the ground. She's being tended to by tour officials. Parcha is ultimately subdued by two guards. So Celis, in her own words, said, My head whipped around towards where it hurt, and I saw a man wearing a baseball cap, a sneer across his face. His arms were raised above his head, and his hands were clutching a long knife. He started to lunge at me again. I did not understand what was happening.
1: Oh, my God. This is, Wild. like,
0: haunting wild the knife landed 1.5 inches under her skin it missed her lungs spinal cord and other organs by like a breath oh she would suffer a half inch wound between her spine and left shoulder blade that required surgery and had she not bent forward prior to the attack cuz that spectator scream there's a strong chance celis would have been paralyzed holy shit yeah so Originally, they thought that maybe it was politically motivated because of Monica Seles' Serbian roots. She was known to have received death threats in connection with the conflict in Yugoslavia. But it turns out this motherfucker... This motherfucker! ...was just a psychotic Steffi Groff superfan desperate to get Groff back to the number one ranking. And we thought you were the world's biggest tennis fan. (laughs) Get out of the way! Insane. Insane. And I find it crazy that it hasn't been remembered for just how scary and unbelievable it was. Like, to put this in perspective, you've never heard of it. The top women's tennis player in the world was stabbed in front of thousands of people in the middle of a match. That happened. And what year? Just to to refresh. In 1993. 1993. Not so long ago. Where also is the security? This is like becoming a running theme. What the hell?
1: Where is the security when you need them? J- uh, just when you need them.
0: Wow. Yeah. So apparently, Groff visited Celis in the hospital after the attack, but only for a few minutes, according to Celis's book. To this day, Groff hasn't formally addressed or given an interview about the attack. I mean, I get it. It's traumatic, but Steffi, come on, girl. I mean... I wonder if she and Andre Agassi, like, talk about it and work through it, because they're married now. So Garof has said that when she visited, they could both hardly speak. They just cried. It was difficult to talk. And, you know, I think she felt a lot of remorse that it was someone from Germany and a guy who was her fan. So I'm sure it's, like, really hard to know even how to deal with it.
1: I can kind of empathize with that. Like, you're walking into a hospital. Both of them. Yeah, absolutely, both sides. But, like, you're walking into a hospital to see somebody that's been stabbed basically on your behalf, which is wild. It's awful.
0: So here's the thing about it. I mean, it's all horrifying, but Monica's dominant career was never the same again. So it's like, fuck this dude. And it gets worse. So in October 1993, six months after the attack, Gunner was convicted of stabbing Monica Sellis, which checks out because that's literally what happened. Mm -hmm. But the Hamburg District Court gave him a suspended two-year sentence, and the 39-year-old walked away a free man. A free man. Are you fucked? A free man. He told police and later the court at his sentencing trial that he only intended to hurt Monica. I only um, wanted to hurt her. Yeah, not to kill her. So I guess cool. And the judge in the case said oh. she believed him on that point. And she also factored in a psychiatrist's testimony about his highly abnormal personality. So yeah, he, I guess he should walk free. And noted that he had given a full confession and shown remorse. It's also been speculated that part of this ruling was because Monica didn't show up for the trial. Because she was scared and traumatized.
1: Yeah, no shit. You would of course absolutely she didn't have go. PTSD after that for probably ever.
0: But ultimately, the attempted murder charge was dismissed. So he was only found guilty of causing grievous bodily harm. Oh my god. I hate
1: everyone. I hate everyone it's and everything.
0: Horrifying. So Monica and others were furious that he walked free, obviously. In a statement, she said, what kind of message does this send the world? He admitted that he stalked me. Then he stabbed me once and attempted to stab me a second time. And now the court has said he does not have to go to jail for this premeditated crime. He gets to go back to his life. But I can't because I'm still recovering from his attack, which could have killed me. So he was
1: stalking her and tried to stab her at a previous time? He
0: planned this in advance.
1: (gasps) Well, obviously, no one's bringing a nine-inch friggin' blade yeah. to a tennis <laughs> oh, match.
0: he's like happened to be walking to get popcorns. Like I remember, this nine-inch knife is in my, oh my pocket. Maybe I'll stay in I have it. This... Well, and I'm here, there. Let's just do it now. Anyway, the WTA and other female <laughs> players condemned the German court system, and Celis vowed to never play in Germany again, which she never did. Great. But despite its supportive appearance, the WTA and its other top. 25 players refused to freeze Celis's ranking as she recovered. All players voted against freezing, that like she would keep her number one because she was deaf, except Gabriella. Why is
1: everyone terrible? Yeah,
0: except our queen, Gabriella Sabatini, who abstained. the The best of them.
1: The, the best of them was like, I'd rather not. Ladies, wow. Ladies.
0: Man, it's like people really easily land on the wrong side of stuff sometimes. Like, sometimes it's, like, so clear the wrong and right side of history, and yet it's tough. Anyway, it was undoubtedly all traumatic all around. Celis's doctor said Monica had a lot of luck because she definitely could have been killed, so thank God. It gets a little sadder. Several months after Hamburg, as Monica was recovering, her father was diagnosed with cancer. So... A lot happened all at once, and it understandably took this huge toll on her in the form of PTSD, depression, and an eating disorder. So she took a break from tennis, understandably. Pretty long one. Absolutely. yeah. Ugh. Let's just take a minute there. That is so rough. I don't know
1: how I would ever go back out in public. Like, I would just be so scared all the time.
0: Totally. Well, after 28-month hiatus, Celis returned. No way. And luckily, at this time, the WTA did the right thing and gave her back her number one ranking to be shared with Groff. The two met up in the U.S. Open final, but Groff took the win, which gave her the number one spot over Celis. Sellis did go on to win the Australian Open again in 1996 by defeating another German, Anka Huber. And she later said she was really glad she came back, despite not knowing how she would fare against new players who had gotten stronger while she was away. And she was grateful for that win because it was one of the last matches her dad got to see while he was still healthy. We can relate. We can. As for her rivalry with Steffi Graf, Monica won only once more against her in her career after that incident. It was in the 1999 Australian Open quarters, but she didn't make it past the semis that year because she lost to Martina Hingis of Switzerland. Just side note, notably such an asshole, that woman. Oh. Anyway, that's a different pod. (laughs) So Monica's last competitive match took place at the 2003 French Open. And then she announced her retirement in 2008. And at that time, she had won nine majors and 83% of her matches over her career, which is awesome. But after the stabbing, Monica never got back to the elite form or her number one ranking. And it's tough thinking about what a dominant player she might have been if it hadn't happened. She was like 20 years old at the time and definitely had more dominant years in the tank. That's like her peak. I mean, she'd be like Serena right now. We Like, everyone would know who she is. Well, she's considered by many to be the first true power player in the women's game, inspiring players like Serena and Venus and Lindsay Davenport. So, you know, she's a trailblazer. She met Serena Williams in 1997 when Serena was just 16 And Monica says, I remember calling my agent that night and saying, oh, Tony, my days are numbered. I could just sense that Serena was going to be the next great champion. I think it's terrific. It happened. That's evolution. It's a humbling experience to feel that pendulum swing. Wow. Our girl is so humble and gracious. Like all that happened to her and she's still able to be like, it's awesome. She's so cool. I would be
2: so bitter.
0: I would be so Oof. angry
1: all the time. I would not leave my house.
0: We got to get Monica Seles therapists because they did a good job. Girl, you've done wonders. Yeah. So years later, Serena would say, I think maybe it just comes from growing up watching so much tennis. Me and Serena were the same. <laughs> and she said, like, I loved watching Steffi and Monica, that era when it was just them. They were such mental players. And just looking at that and being so influenced by that, thinking one day I'm going to be there. So, wow. no doubt Monica Seles was influential.
1: Yeah, an inspiration for sure.
0: Totally. So, just in case you're wondering, as far as tennis getting safer, sadly, the answer is I was wondering that actually. No. <laughs> Sports Illustrated reported on it and said, if anything, there's just been increasingly belligerent spectators. This is
1: insane to me. Tennis, I feel like I put in the same category as like golf, like a quiet, classy, you know, kind of thing that you watch on like Sundays. And the fact that there's people getting
0: belligerent are not being safe. I mean, you love to see the passion, but come on, sure, just be safe fans have stormed the courts when Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Serena Williams have been playing. Like Those are three of the marquee names in tennis. And if they're not getting the proper security, what's even happening? Yeah, they're superstars. What I'm learning is we, the human race, are bad at learning lessons. This is the one thing I know. For sure. So what's our girl Monica up to now? Well, she eventually spoke out about the stabbing, and she said, I didn't play for two and a half years after my stabbing. I was 19, so you're going through, hey, what am I going to do? Am I going to return? Am I not? And everybody said, oh, my gosh, those would have been your best two and a half years, all this stuff. I wish I'd known what I know now, which is that you can still play great tennis at 28. It doesn't just have to be in your early 20s, but that was a different time.
1: You know what would be the worst thing? I (laughs) mean— There's a lot of bad here, but one of the terrible things is there's probably so many people that have come up to her being like, oh, you could have been so great. <laughs>
0: As if it's fucking her fault. You I know Th- that's the thing when it's so outside of anything you could have done. It's just so much rougher. And I'm sure she hears that
1: all the time. Totally.
0: I also really love what she said in an interview with Neil Conan on NPR in 2009. She said, "I don't like living in the past
2: so, or the future. I love living in the present. I'm so excited about my life now. It took a lot of hard work. I mean, I look back at my life. I've been, I had some great highs and I had some, uh, you know, great lows. That's just part of uh, who I am today and what, um, you know, talking to you here. Um, what could have been? You know, it could have gone if the knife stabbed me just a little bit over to the right, I could be paralyzed today. And if it never stabbed me, then I might have had more grand slams. Who knows? Those are all what ifs." The only thing I know is it did happen. Um, it, you know, changed the course of my career, but I did end up coming back to the sport that I love and that has given me so much in my life. I'm so impressed. I love that so much. Well, she's
0: also gone on to be a children's book author, and she even Ooh. had a brief stint on Dancing with the Stars in 2008. So, you know.
1: Okay. So fun.
0: Yes. And she also helps train young tennis players at a non-elite level. So she is paying it forward. So maybe I could call her up. Yeah, I think you and I are probably like cut to us, follow-up episode, you and I being taught tennis by Monica
1: Seles. And it's just us grunting the entire time. And you're just like, is this
0: the head of the racket? Is that what this is called? (laughs) So anyway, that's the story of Monica Seles. Wow, I'm blown away. I didn't
1: know that story. And I hope that... People are familiar with her because she sounds rad. Yeah. Do we know the the name of her book? Because I actually really want to go and read this. I feel like it would be fascinating.
0: Yeah. It's called, it's got a pun in it. It's called Getting a Grip on My Body, My Mind, Myself.
1: (gasps) We love. Love it. I am reading this ASAP. Because this would be fascinating. From her point of view? Yeah. Oh, girl, she's fierce. I'm looking yeah. at photos of her. She is fierce. She's awesome. She's great. Um. Well, consider us uh, number one Monica Seles fans.
0: Yay. All right, well, I can't wait for next week. Yes, we have another story coming your way. So great, but I got to go for now because I got to go hit some balls against my garage. Re-inspired. You're my hero. Can I come with? Yes.
1: Will you hold my racket for me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you the two-handed form. Okay. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Hall of Shame is a product of Crooked Media. The
0: show is produced by Caroline Reston and Allison Falzetta. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and Stephen Hoffman. Engineering and sound design by Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa. Thank you to Sydney Rapp and Brian Semmel for production support every week.